Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. All praises, honor, and glory go to God, the Father, to his Son, Jesus the Christ, the head of the living church, and then to the Holy Spirit who continually comforts us all. How blessed are we to be able to come here and worship a living God. And as we've talked about last week, we'll talk about this week, uh, a living God does not deserve a dead praise. We should come here in such a way to where we magnify God and show God's worth in our lives. I don't know about you, but the Lord means so much to me. The Lord has done so much for me. The Lord has made a way for me. The Lord has a place prepared for me. And I can't come here and sing dead and pray dead and look dead and hear the message of the word and be dead. I, I have to have some animation in my worship because God has been animated in my life. I, I, I don't know about you. I, 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 I'm hoping that as we grow and develop that we don't come dragging in here anymore, but we come running in here because somebody has needed this all week. Somebody needs this. Somebody need, we, we're not just coming here for form or fashion, but somebody needs this. Like a car needs fuel, like a camel needs water. Somebody needs to come here and worship God. And it's because God has lifted me that I come up here to lift up God. Uh, that's why I come to worship. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. Over last Sunday night, Brother David Christman Jr. came to Jesus Christ. Those of you who are familiar with Gray Road and Beecher Street history, I remember that Brother David Christman Sr. was one of our former ministers over 40 years ago. Uh, his son has come to Christ uh, while breath was still in his body and blood was still in his veins. We're so blessed to have him here in the audience on this morning. We're praying. Uh, with heart of contrition for Sister Carol Heron. On yesterday, Carol lost her son, Otis. Uh, he passed, and she is going through at this time, so call her, encourage her, and pray that Jesus be a fence around her. Uh, we're currently three weeks away uh, from what is a typically Super Sunday. Of course, we'll be talking about that next week, about invite, invite, invite. Uh, but that Saturday, which is February the 3rd, get your minds around the fact that we'll be having a praise and worship workshop here at the church. Uh, we want you to come here as we refresh old music and learn some new music. Say amen when you can. Ain't nothing wrong with some new music uh, on February the 3rd. Under the auspices of our 2018 theme, All In, which means this year is a year of commitment. Uh, we're continuing our January series directed toward praise and worship. We must be in, all in, as it regards to praise and worship. It's one thing to be a witness for God, but our witness ought to be emphasized in our worship. Uh, we talked about last week how worship comes from the old English word, worship which means when I come to worship, I'm actually telling God and showing God what he is worth in my life. And by some of the way that we come here to worship God, we obviously can see that God ain't worth much to you. Say amen when you can. 
people wonder why I praise with so much energy and enthusiasm and magnification because God is worth so much to me. He's more precious than gold. I, I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know what he can do. I know when he stepped in. God has much worth in my life. Therefore, I cannot wait to come to worship and or worship. But last week, we spoke to praise being the heart of worship. But this morning, I want to focus on not just praise, us communicating to God, but I want to focus on preaching. I want to focus on preaching. I want to focus on preaching as God communicating to us. Ah, the preached word is more than just a part of worship, but rather the preached word is the epicenter of worship, meaning everything revolves around it. Notice I said it and not him. Oh, I'm preaching already. You don't even know it. Uh, everything revolves around it, not him. It doesn't revolve around the preacher, but rather the preaching. The preached word is the epicenter of worship, and we show God worship and or worship and how we receive the word, how we respect the word, and how we relate to the word. So now let's look at the word. Meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, with tabernacle for contextual sake in verse number 17. Here at the grave, we show respect to the reading of the word. So when you find yourself there, let's be standing for the reading and the inspiration that comes from the precious word of God. Here, Paul is writing to that cosmopolitan city on the isthmus of Corinth. And here, he is writing again to a church that he served as its first evangelist. He is now away from them and is concerned about them. And the church in Corinth is something like the church in Cincinnati. Its people are tore up from the floor. They got real issues. They some, hello somebody, they, they, they got stuff going on, so much stuff that Paul can't just write them once, he got to write them twice. And say, look at here, didn't I tell you? But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he levels with them after talking about divisions and who belongs to who and says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but rather to preach the gospel and or the good news of salvation. Not with wisdom or cleverness, not with eloquence of speech, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect and or be made ineffective and or be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is nonsense, absurd, illogical, and or foolishness to those who are perishing and are spiritually dead. But to us, somebody say to us. But to us who are being saved, somebody say being saved. 
Oh, I ain't there yet, church. I ain't there yet. I'm being saved. I, I, I ain't cussed nobody out this week. I, I'm being saved. I, I, I haven't had sugar just yet, but I'm being saved. I, 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 uh, I'm being saved. I didn't answer one of those 3 a.m. calls I shouldn't answer because I'm being saved. I pledge at least not to get drunk on Saturday so I can be sober on Sunday because I'm still being saved. I won't answer those gossip calls like I used to because I wish I had somebody in here. Uh, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Notice four questions. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Here's the crux text. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased and or God decided through the foolishness of what was preached. Through the foolishness of the message that was preached. To save those who believe. If you have some time this morning, I want to spend some time teaching doctrinally from the subject, when God speaks. When God speaks. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Devil, a kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what was, what is, and what will be if we keep our hand in your unchanging hand. Father, this time be with everyone under the sound of my voice, Father. Open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears to hear a word coming straight from you via your manservant. Your manservant is nothing without you. Father, I ask now that you forgive me of my sins. Father, with sins forgiven, I pray that you now write on the tablet of my heart. Give me the audacity and the tenacity to make public what you first made plain. Speak to me and speak through me. You are the author of what is about to take place right now. Help us to receive it. Help us to relate to it and help us to joyfully grow from it. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When God speaks. Last week we talked about one having the freedom to shout. When Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they, with great audacity and emphasis and great enthusiasm, praised God because of the God that he was and the things that he has done. And now that we know we have the freedom to shout, this Sunday, I want you to know what you're shouting about. Because a whole lot of folk like to shout, but they don't know what they're shouting about. The Christian should shout because the way to salvation is made plain of God. 
and salvation is made through the plan of God which fulfills itself in a man named Jesus the Christ. The child of God should shout because salvation is now known, full, and free. The child of God should shout because the shed blood of Christ Jesus, once I surrender to him and submit to him, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. The child of God should shout because Jesus serves as my eternal high priest, thus bringing God to me and me to God. The child of God should shout because while I was yet a sinner, he served as my propitiation so that now God sees me as his son and his daughter because he sees his son's blood on me and his Holy Spirit inside of me. The child of God should shout because Jesus has brought unto us righteousness, sanctification, holiness, and redemption. But while you are shouting and praising God as that is the heart of worship, one must not forget the epicenter of worship, and that is the preached word. Because all of your reasons to shout was brought to you from God through the man of God, and that is by design, because ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let me present to you that preaching does save. If you get nothing else about the importance of preaching, preaching does save. For preaching is God's platform in which he communicates to his children and he communicates to the world. When he wants his children to be encouraged, he sends a preacher. When he wants his children rebuked, he sends a preacher. When he wants the world confronted and convicted, he sends a preacher. When he wants to communicate comfort, he sends a preacher. When he wants to bring forth instruction, he sends a preacher. You ain't got to say amen. I brought my amens with me. Whenever God wants to speak with audio audacity, he does it through the man of God. And when the man of God speaks, it should be the very words of God. It should be seen as the words of God and respected as the words of God. Give me some script with that lip. I'm so glad you asked. It was Peter in his later years who said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as to the ability which God giveth. That God in all things, I wish I a church in here. God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom praise and dominion is due forever and ever. Amen. If any man of God speaks, he should speak the very words of God and the church should treat it as the words of God for it's when God speaks through the preached message, it should be received with all humility. It should be received with all meekness. It should be received Ooh, I wish I had somebody in here yeah. Uh, let, 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 me, let me say this in here since y'all looking at me funny already. Uh, when God speaks through the preached message, it should be received regardless of its carrier. See, a lot of times we try to delegitimize and devalue God's message because of its carrier. Well, you know, I, I can't hear nothing Doc got to say. It don't matter about Doc. It matters about what God is trying to say to you. How is God speaking to your life? How is God speaking to your situation? If God's gospel message mm, is predicated upon me, then you got a long... Because I'm going to tell you something. This ain't in my notes. I ain't always right. 
I know it near perfect. Sometimes the Friday me ain't the Sunday me. So don't put hope and trust in me. The man of God carries the message of God, and it's the message of God that has power. So whenever the man of God operates in the function of God and preaches the word of God, it should be received not because of his person, but because of God's message in your life. And because God is trying to speak to you through the preaching moment, you and I better receive his word with humility and meekness because its receptivity perpetuates the reciprocal nature and value of worship. If I had time, I would tell somebody that worship is reciprocal. Worship is reciprocal. Worship is reciprocal. For worship is not just what you give God, but it's also what you receive from God. And when the man of God deposits something into your life, it's God himself putting it in you. So don't ever leave the worship service without receiving a word from the Lord. If you can go to church and you ain't received no word, you ain't been to church. It is important that preaching not only be a fixture of our worship, but rather that it becomes the foundation of our worship. Because unfortunately for some folk, preaching is what we like the least. Can I be real in this place? Preaching is what we like the least. Oh, here we go. Oh, here he go. How long is this going to be? This word ain't for me. I need Sonny to ram a word for me. This is too elementary for me. I, I, I just need me, 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 me. We in today's system of fractured and fragmented Christianity tend to demean, denigrate, and delegitimize the public preaching of the word of God. We like the music. We like the lights. We like the action. But the preaching we find as frivolous. And when we have to do it, it must be truncated and fit within our time frame. I might make somebody feel uncomfortable today. If you don't like it, just turn over the pillow. It has to fit in our time frame. Not only is it to be timed in our society, but now, Deacon Brayton, we want less proclamation and more motivation. We don't want a preacher. We want Dr. Field. We don't want an orator. We want Oprah. We want our sermons to empower and not evoke, to eulogize and not criticize, to make us happy and not make us holy. We want glorified book reviews and not Bible-based preaching because the Bible is old, it's antiquated, it's out of date, and it's out of touch. Perhaps I am one who finds the Bible offensive because it does not inculcate my thoughts my feelings or my cultural or societal preferences. Preach flowers, I think I will. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let me reemphasize this morning the importance of the preached word and the worship of our Lord. Notice the preacher has his place 
but the preacher does not bring me salvation. That's Paul's entire thought throughout the first Corinthians narrative in chapters one and two. You worried about me, you worried about Apollos, you worried about C, you worried about all these folk. But I can't bring you salvation. Put your hope and trust in Jesus. But what is preached to the child of God should be perceived and received as the very bread of life. Because in fact, it is. Can I tell you something since you're already mad at me? The word of God should be wanted. The word of God should be cherished. The word of God should be constantly refreshed. For just like eating satisfies only for a short while, so also should be the word of God. Praying is edifying, but preaching saves. Giving is sacrificial, but the preached word saves. Communion is upbuilding, but the preached word saves. Singing is impactful, but the preached word saves. So, so if you don't mind for a little while, I want to preach about preaching. I want to preach about preaching, thus identifying the importance of the word from the very word itself. Can I give you some background since you're not timing me no more because you feel guilty? <laughs> Understand, contextually, Paul here in 1 Corinthians is answering questions and or situations as posed by the Corinthian church and communicated to him by the household of Chloe and or the Corinthian delegation that had visited him. <laughs> Meaning what? I ain't telling y'all about, mm, about what I think is going on. I'm telling you about what I know is going on from a reliable source. Say amen when you can. Chloe and them told me exactly what y'all doing over there in Corinth. Paul has familiarity with this young Christian church as he was its founding evangelist. He was there from its beginning. He was there when God sent him there. He spent 18 months there in the establishment of the Corinthian church. He has now left seven years ago and now this church has now become a victim of its surrounding society. It was hard to be a believer in Corinth just like it's hard to be a believer in Cincinnati because uh, they were conflicted with loose morals uh, and they had various scandalous lifestyles. Uh, they had many problems in Corinth. Uh, I can't preach it like I want to, uh, but let me say this for my note takers. Uh, Corinth had a problem with divisions in the church. Uh, Corinth had a problem with church discipline. Corinth had a problem with marriage and divorce. Uh, Corinth had a problem with doctrinal disputes. Uh, Corinth had a problem and they struggled around spiritual gifts. But here Paul, for our gleaning, first addresses their division over who the greatest preacher is. And they articulated to Paul that the greatest preacher is the one who baptized the most people and or the one who was the most entertaining. So therefore Paul quells their argument by forcing them and us to focus on the fact that the preacher is secondary, is secondary, is secondary to the preached word because it's the preached word that saves even the preacher. And Paul says it's not about baptism statistics or entertaining sensationalism but rather it's about the power of the cross of Christ that saves man from his sin. 
Now we get to verse 17. Verse 17 begins with the word for. For, as we know, is a connecting conjunction. There are five different fours in this text. The first three fours are at the forefront of our pericope. Verse 17 begins with the word for. Verse 18 begins with the word for. Verse 19 begins with the word for. Go down to verse 21, it begins with the word for. Verse number 25 begins with the word for. Meaning what? Paul never broke his thought throughout the entire 1 Corinthians 1 narrative. For what? Christ did not sin. Apostello is the Greek word there. He did not send me. He did not appoint me. He did not anoint me to do what? Baptize. What did he want me to do? He wanted me to preach the gospel. My anointing is proclamation. Now, in case one wants to disconnect baptism from the essentiality of salvation and or the necessity of this text, baptism does come from baptizo. It means to submerse and or to submerge. One must go all the way down. Do not think that Paul here is de-emphasizing and or delegitimizing baptism. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, mm, that's not my lane. Don't confuse me with John the Baptist. I am not necessarily a baptizer, I am a preacher. Furthermore, baptism alone is not to be my function. That's why he's specific if you go up in 1 Corinthians 1, that I'm glad I baptized none of y'all but Crispus and Gaius. Why? So none of y'all can claim allegiance to me. Yeah, I worried about who's the greatest. God's the greatest. You can't say it was me. I didn't baptize y'all. I'm a preacher. My job is proclamation. So personal baptism not being my calling is not to delegitimize baptism, but rather my ministry is not encapsulated as to the result of my message, but rather the reality of my message. And the reality of my message is that Christ saves, period. Christ saves who? Everybody. From everything. Anytime. My job is to preach. Now, preach here uh, in this pericope comes from three different Greek terms. The first term is euangelizo. Euangelizo means to bring and carry the good news, the glad tidings, to talk about the kingdom of God and the salvation to be obtained therein. Well, that's a simple message, Paul. That's all that God requires. See, the struggle with the Corinthian church, the struggle with the Gentilian world, was that God's message and God's plan was too simple. They were scholars. They were of high intellectualism. They were high philosophically. They were aware of Greek mythology. They were saying it must be deeper than this. It's too simple. It's too plain. And while God is saying, I did that on purpose. Because while those who were not as intelligent were being saved, those who were so intelligent were being confused. My job is to do what? Preach the gospel and or the good news of salvation. Paul says, I must preach the gospel. The gospel message, the preached word, 
and the sinner's salvation all revolve around one crucial fact. And that is a crucified Christ. Anything separate from that and the cross means nothing. What am I here to preach? A crucified Christ. Anything separate from that. Anything societal. Anything culturalistic. Anything psychological. Anything philosophical. Anything superficially pedagogical. And the cross means nothing. But what about what the preacher wears on Sunday? If you focus on that, then the cross means nothing. What about his vocabulary? If you focus on that, then the cross means nothing. Well, he had too many broken verbs. If you focus on that, then the cross means nothing. What about his educational attainment? If you focus on that, then the cross means nothing. I made this so simple that it could save anybody regardless of his intellectual acuity. And I also made it so simple that anybody who preaches it can preach it regardless of their intellectual acuity. All man needs to know is that man was crucified for my sins. A man with an elementary education can preach this. If you don't believe me, ask Marshall Keeble. Baptism's placement in this pericope is of great importance as it links the process of baptism to the message of the cross, thus denoting its efficacy in the salvation process and its mandate in the Messiah's mission. But even in the midst of this revelation, Paul's emphasis was on preaching the gospel, knowing that baptism was of God, but preaching is entrusted to man. All men was entrusted to do, all that man was entrusted to do was to carry and deliver the message. He ain't got to make nothing new. He ain't got to make nothing fun. He ain't got to make nothing entertaining. He ain't got to make nothing scintillating. All he is required to do is to carry and deliver the message, thus leaving the final results to God. That's why Paul will later write in 1 Corinthians 3 that Paul planted Apollos water, but it was God who made it grow. So here Paul was saying simply, my job is to preach, and the command from God is simply proclamation so he could bring revelation. My job is to speak. God's job is to save. Somebody, even today, needs to preach more of the gospel. It's time out for anecdotal stories and constant reflection of one's childhood. But it's time for somebody to preach. Preaching means teaching with power, persuasion, and personality. It's time for somebody to preach like Jesus is coming back. Preach like the house is on fire. Because the fact of the matter is the world will soon one day be on fire. But preach specifically the gospel. Tell people the story about Jesus Christ. 
Tell people about Jesus, the risen Savior, Jesus, God's son, Jesus, Mary's baby, Jesus, the one who hovered over the waters even from the beginning, Jesus, who was there amongst the Godhead three and saw the Tower of Babel, preach Jesus as the Passover lamb, preach Jesus as Isaiah 7:14 says, the one who be born of a virgin, preach Jesus as the one who would come from a new womb and be buried in a new tomb, preach Jesus as Isaiah 9 and 6 reminds us that he is a wonderful counselor, prince of peace and God almighty. Preach Jesus who said he was the bread of life, the living water, the sheep gate. Preach Jesus who said destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Preach Jesus about his death. Preach Jesus about his burial and don't just stop at his death and burial but preach the resurrection of Jesus, the very crux of our faith. Preach that he walked amongst men after he got out of the tomb. Preach that Thomas stuck his finger in his hand and his hand in his side. Preach Jesus. Preach that he was crucified and had holes, H-O-L-E-S brought in him so that he can make us whole, W-H-O-L-E. Preach it. Preach the gospel. Don't nothing else matter. Nothing wrong with poetry. Nothing wrong with books. Nothing wrong with education. But somebody needs to preach the gospel. Because when man connects and comes in contact with the gospel, there is salvation. I was called to do this not with words of human wisdom or other versions say with cleverness. Meaning what? It's not about me. It's not about man's wisdom. Because we must understand that the highest of man's learning is merely the residue of God's knowledge. Somebody missed your shout right there. The highest of man's learning is merely the residue of God's knowledge. And notice, Paul is not one who's against education, but Paul's saying education means nothing in regards to revelation. Don't let your education get in the way of revelation. The Corinthians struggle. The Gentilian world struggle. Some Cincinnatians struggle. Somebody in here struggles by saying it's not deep enough. It's too easy. It does not philosophically entertain me. It does not stimulate my intellectualism. Don't you know how smart I am? I cannot believe that if I change my clothes in the back and go down in water that I come out a new man. I know where that water comes from. It comes from Cincinnati Waterworks because I pay the bill every quarter. I'm too smart for that. I'm too smart to submit to a God that I can't see. I'm too smart to live faithful when I can't see its benefits. But Paul says here, the problem is uh, your education has gotten in the way of your revelation. Trust God only because, if not other reason, trust God because God said it. And obviously, your way ain't working. Well, Paul just don't like education. Paul was training the Gamaliel. Paul was highly intelligent. Paul was multilingual. Paul was well-traveled. Paul was already successful, quote, unquote, before he met Jesus. That's why he says in Philippians 3 that all the things I've done aforetime, I now consider dung to now knowing Christ. My education meant nothing by God's revelation. He doesn't need my wisdom. 
He doesn't need my eloquence of speech. Understand. It says preach the gospel. For the gospel will reveal God's love even without man's loquaciousness. The gospel will show God's grace without man's gregariousness. The gospel will show compassion even in spite of man's communication. He don't need my words. And if I put my intelligence and put my words in the way, then the cross of Christ is ineffective and or it's emptied of its power. The power of whatever is preached comes from the power of the cross. Doesn't matter the communicator. It matters the message, and the message ain't changed. Can I tell you something? No matter how many good preachers there are in the world, there's no new story. Somebody may preach it from a different perspective, may put different uh, analogies with it, may have a different hoop in a different cadence, may have a different way of bringing it about, but the message ain't changed. The same message that saved man on the day of Pentecost is the same message that can save man in 2018. Oh, it's so simple, it's so simple. Man allowed sin to come into the picture. Man has sin. Man cannot see God's face with sin in his life. God knows this. God loves man so much. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever what believeth in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. I love man. I want man to be with me. Man cannot be with me with sin in his life. Therefore, I'll send my son. My son will die on an old rugged cross. He will shed his blood. His blood cancels and or remits the sin in man's life. Where am I going to put the blood? I'm going to put it in the water. For that three that bear record in heaven, the water, the spirit, and the blood. I'm going to foreshadow that because even when Jesus is on the cross and they press him in his side, out came what? Blood and water. If man comes in contact with Christ, gets baptized in water, is impacted by his blood, his sin is counseled away. Now man can stand before me, man can be in me, and man can be saved by me. Very simple. Man has a sin problem. Christ's blood eliminates sin. Man must get in Christ's blood so they can now be reunited with God because that was God's intent from the beginning of time. Man messed that up with their own desires. That's the message. And that message, Paul says, don't you know PhD? That message, I don't have to be trained by Gamaliel. I don't have to be multilingual. If I worry about me and focus on me, the cross is emptied of its power. Verse 18, for, second conjunction, the message, the Logos, can't talk about that right now, of the cross is nonsense. It's absurd. It's illogical. It's foolishness. To who? Those who are perishing or those who are spiritually dead. Amplified version. Foolishness which is repeated several times in this pericope, comes from the word Moriah, or Moria and Morino. Moria and Morino. 
Maria or Morino brings us the English word moron. Their thought is it's moronic to believe that this simplicity saves. So Paul's saying, Corinthians, don't be confused, don't be depressed. For those who are not spiritual, they cannot understand spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, for those who are not of God, they can't understand how God works in their life. For those who are spiritually dead and are perishing, that's a continuing term, uh, they cannot understand the message of the cross. It's foolishness to them. Okay. Now, understand, I love the word here uh, because it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are what? To those who are what? Notice it doesn't say to those who have perished. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a continuous state, but it's not a final state. Which means there's still hope. That man does not have to perish if he believes in the message of the cross. But those who do not believe in the message of the cross are morons and they're perishing. Do you know what perishing really means? You ever have a good piece of fruit and you leave it out too long? It begins to what? Perish. That's why canned food are known as non-perishables. Meaning what? You once had good you once had goodness in you, but you're allowing it to fade away. You used to have value, but it is now deteriorating. As long as man is on the face of the earth and he or she does not obey the message of the cross, they fall into a moronic pattern and they're perishing. What was good about you, it starts to fade away. It starts to deteriorate. You're deteriorating and you're dying from the inside out. I'm so glad the Amplified Version says they're spiritually dead. Don't you know that God wants more for you? Don't you know that God wants life for you? Don't you know that God wants better for you? But you're allowing yourself to perish because you will not submit to the message of the cross. Which is I can save you by the shedding of my blood. I can make you righteous. I can sanctify you. I can consecrate you. I can better you. But transformative conjunction to us so glad to be part of the us who are what being saved can I spend some time here can I spend some time here because somebody don't like I, I don't like being saved I, I, I am saved I ain't being nothing can I pepper this in your theology I don't like what you do. I just want to pepper it in your theology. Can I tell you that salvation has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense? Don't believe the theology and or the ideology of once saved, always saved. It sounds good, doesn't it? Once you come down here and, and say the sinner's prayer, once you come down here and tarry for the Holy Ghost, once you come down front and I pour holy oil on you, you're saved from this day forward. And people like that. Once you put your hand on the radio from today, you are God's child. You don't have to do nothing else. Can't nobody take away what God has given you. That's good stuff. We like that. We like immediate gratification. But church, that ain't how it works. There is a saved 
a being saved and a soon to be saved. Sozo is the word here. Uh, it's amazing that it's here, but sozo is the word here. Sozo means to rescue. Means to pluck out of danger. That's what baptism does. Baptism now doth save you. It does what? It plucks you from out of the world. It plucks you out of impending damnation. It rescues you. Why is baptism so important? Why should I want to get baptized so bad? Because you're drowning. And if you're drowning and not keeping your head above water, make it away when you can. Say amen when you can. That's my good time song today. If you're not keeping your head above water and I throw you out a lifesaver, that's what baptism is. When the boat comes and rescues you, when you can't do it no more by yourself, that's what baptism is. God, no matter if you were seven or 77, as the gentleman was last Sunday, God still wants to save you. He's the Coast Guard before the Coast Guard. He wants to pluck you out of danger. Oh, if I had time for a grandmama hymn, I would say I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore. So you were saved, Pastor. If you are baptized, then you were saved. If you're not baptized, you better reconsider. There's no salvation without baptism. There's no salvation without blood. It's only, be, it's only because of Christ's blood on us that God will be able to identify with us in that last day. No baptism, no blood. No blood, no identification. No identification, no, no salvation. No ascension. Okay. But I was baptized, baptized at 10 years old. Well, good for you. Well, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. You have been saved. Paul says, the cross, the bloodshed, the sacrifice, the redemption of the cross is the power of God to us who are doing what? Being saved. present tense, I'm working through some stuff. God is perfecting me. He's consecrating me. He's building me. Because one day he's going to save me, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2. One day I'm going to have a body like his. That's the ultimate salvation. When Jesus comes riding on a cloud. So I was saved, praise the Lord. He loves me so much right now as I stay in him and him and me, I'm being saved. And one day, I shall, future tense, be saved. But I'm being saved. Meaning what? Salvation is not just an appointment, it's a process. It's not just a revelation, it's a relationship. Because to say I was saved at baptism means that I'm going to be saved as my 10-year-old self. Well, I was saved at 14 back in, back in 1973, and I've been saved ever since. I'm so glad that God is not going to come back and save the 10-year-old me. And I know I ain't the only one. You pray, God, that God does not come and save the you that you were when you got baptized. Because you, after you got baptized, did some stuff, had some habits, 
<sighs> baptism, can I tell you something? Baptism does not necessarily stop you from doing what you were doing. Baptism now gives you a conscience and a construct to want to do better because of who is living inside of you. So I think we sell a false hope and a false notion. Baptism is not magic. Baptism ushers me into a relationship where I want to be better. But even after I make the decision of baptism, I make the decision to live faithful. Somebody made the decision to be baptized, but you ain't never made the decision to be faithful. Therefore, you were saved, but you will not be saved. Let me make it more plain. If you smoke crack and you got baptized, when you come out of the water, smoking crack is still going to be an issue for you. I'm not being funny, I'm being serious. If you are sexually immoral and then got baptized, rose up the water, new creature, you still are going to have thoughts of sexual immorality. You're going to have challenges. You're going to fall down. Preach flowers, I think I will. If you like to drink and you get baptized, come up out the grave, on Monday, you walk in the liquor store, Jack Daniels ain't going away. Wild Irish Rose ain't, okay, ain't going, Mad Dog, I wish I had somebody in here who, Boone's Farm, Alizé Patron, they ain't going away. The difference is not in the external factor, the difference is now in the internal person. I am what? Being saved. Thank God that he saved me. When he saved me, he plucked me out of destruction, but now he's still working on me. I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm being saved. Well, I can't see it in you. You ain't got to see it in me. Well, don't you want the victory? The first victory over sin is today. I didn't cuss you out today. I didn't club today. I, I want to talk to somebody who's real this morning. And, okay. I got more text. Who's being saved. Verse, verse number 19. Verse number 19, Travis. Somebody get in trouble. Verse number 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Meaning, well, I don't care about your wisdom. I don't care about your thinking. God did this. And God did it without asking nobody. Verse number 20. In verse number 20, text says, where is the wise man? He asks four questions. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God uh, made foolish the wisdom of the world? Meaning what? I've turned your knowledge on its own head. The sad thing is those who knew me are not those who are being saved by me. That's why I have to go to the Gentiles because the house of Israel received me not. They thought too much, Brother Barry. They were saying, well, hold on, how can you be the Christ? You don't look like what I thought you would look like. A ain't you Mary's baby? We know your mama. We know your daddy. We know what was said about your mama. Hello? C can I say that? Keep in mind, Mary was relegated 
poorly when she got pregnant with Jesus. Hello? That's good preaching right there. That ought to bless somebody's spirit. Imagine what they were saying about Mary when she came up seemingly pregnant out of wedlock. Imagine the names they called her in their culture. Hello? You can't be here. Paul is saying, God has already turned your wisdom on your head. That's why it was Peter who said on the day of Pentecost, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both what? Lord and Christ. You think you're so smart? You missed the opportunity. You think you're so wise? That same wisdom, Gentiles, is what messed the Jews up. That same wisdom is why you got salvation. Verse number 21. And we begin to land this plane. Yeah, we got to land it. We got to land it. Because uh, some of your folk get antsy. Say amen when you can. They, they forgot, Thomas, this is the reason they come to church. This is the reason they come to church. Nobody care about what color hat you got on. This is why you come to church. It's not a social club or community fraternity. This is the reason. When you go to the concert, they got an opener. You don't go for the opening act. They don't publish the opening act on the ticket. You ever been to a concert? I'm sorry. You ever been to a concert and, and the main performer is always late? And you sit there while they're late? Okay, I'm talking to somebody. Been to see Luther, been to see R. Kelly, been to see Mary J. Blige, been to the Essence Festival. Y'all looking at me like you're fun. Been down to the Cincinnati Jazz and or Music Festival. And so like every year, somebody always late. And you sit there, why? Because Usher is the main attraction. I sat so long last year down at Paul Brown, so I don't want to see Usher no way. Say amen when you get, I'm going home. This is why we come to worship. No, I, I, I try to be efficient, but this is important. Verse 21, let me, let me get through it. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. No, here comes some gnosko. It means a close knowledge. It, it's actually the Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse, meaning what? I want to be so into you and you so into me that we're so intertwined that two become one. That's what I want from you. I want a gnosko kind of knowing. See, a lot of us are satisfied about God as long as we know facts about God. I know Jesus. What do you know about him? He was born in Bethlehem. He's Mary's baby. Christmas song says, Mary, did you know? That's your baby. I know about him. But do you know him? Personally, intimately, are you into him? Is he into you? Are you more like one? Instead of old married couples, Brother Barry, that the longer two folk are married, they start to what? Look alike. <laughs> you should know something about that. Say amen when you can. So the so longer I'm with the Lord, the longer I'm in the Lord, the longer I have gnosko, I ought to at least look like him. My wisdom is greater than your wisdom, but since the world and its wisdom didn't understand my wisdom, you don't know me. So therefore, I am now pleased through the foolishness, the moronacy, it's not a word, but I'll put it there, the moronacy of what you think I shouldn't do, that's exactly what I did do. 
I allowed what is preached. I allowed the message, if man hears it, to save those who do what? Believe. Those who surrender to me, I will save. How will they know to surrender? Because I'm going to send a preached word. Those who submit to me, those who I will save. How will man know to submit to me? Because I'm going to send a preached word. What is the preached word going to entail? It's going to entail the power of the Christ by the message of the cross. It's going to tell men and women, boys and girls, that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be renewed and regenerated is through his blood. God was what? Pleased. Pleased here has different thought processes if you follow different versions of the Bible. Uh, some versions say this pleased God. Some versions say this was God's choice. Some versions say this was God's determined and or direct choice. The Greek here says this was God's direct choice and it brought him pleasure. God chose this method to save men. He chose the preaching of the gospel. Well, that's too simple. It's so simple that you can't follow it. It's so simple that you can't see it. I made it simple so that man will have no excuse in the end as to why he didn't submit. I didn't put an IQ test there because some of y'all would have failed it. I didn't put an agility test there because somebody would have failed it. I made salvation full and I made it free. It pleased me. Not only does it please me, it made, I made a choice, but it says this is my authorized method to save man. Please hear the Greek is the same term used when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. Remember that story where Jesus came to his cousin John the Baptist? At the River Jordan, John the Baptist was baptizing folk. And uh, Jesus told John the Baptist, I need to be baptized. John the Baptist said, hold on, wait a minute. Uh, who am I to be baptizing you? I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, this must happen to do what? To fill all righteousness. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Jesus came out of the water. The Spirit descended upon him like a dove. God the Father spoke from heaven and said what? This is my son and whom I am well pleased. Do what? Hear ye him. I am happy this has happened and now I will transfer my authority. That time I would show you that this shows the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in one text. That's powerful, but I have time for that. Um, this is my authority. So when God says God was pleased, God made a decision, it was pleasant in his sight. This is the authorized way for man to be saved through what? The preaching of what man sees as foolishness. And it'll save who? Those. Everybody. Everybody. Who does what? Believe. God speaks through the preached word. Doesn't say he was pleased to save man through the fools who preach. but through the foolishness of what was preached. When the preacher is preaching, it's not about, can I tell you one more thing and I promise you I'm done? I promise you I'm done. The people denigrated preaching in that day because they were so smart and so wise in their own mind that the Kairu, I know the Kairuso as the preacher, was boring to them because the preacher had no message of his own. The preacher of that day is simply a herald. 
and of this day is simply a herald, one who communicates a truth that has been told to him. He's merely a puppet. That's what he is. That's what he does. That people didn't like that in that day because they said, we don't want no puppets. We want somebody with some new knowledge, some new information. Somebody who's going to make our ears tickle. Somebody who's going to make us stand up and shout. All you coming with is what we already knew. And the preacher was saying, look here, if you knew it already, you would have done it. It's too simple. It's too plain. It's so simple and so plain that it makes no sense for all of man not to submit to it. God is speaking. The question now is, will you answer? Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. Jeremy, why do we do invitation every Sunday? Because this is God's way to allow for you in any context to respond to what he said. It don't matter if it's me up here or Clyde up here or Edmerson up here or Ken up here or Ethan up here or Eric up here or Herschel up here or Ed Wright up here or whoever else preaches up here. It doesn't matter. God is speaking to you. And after it's all over, you have an opportunity to respond to that which you have received. The first response needs to be to the unsaved. If you're not a child of God this morning and you've heard the word of God from the man of God who just told you the plan of God, it's your chance to respond to God. God is speaking to you. Now, if you don't answer God, God don't have to come again. He's already said what he said. If Jesus don't come back to 2027, you say, Lord, give me more time. No, homie. No, no, man. Sorry about that. No, man. You had time. You had time. Well, I never knew about that. Yes, you did. On January the 14th, 2018, that six foot five man in that all brown suit, he told you that I was speaking to you. You had a chance to answer me and you did not. God has spoken. Now, how will you respond?